Let's get our Bibles open right away and we'll dig right into them. I want to bring you to a place in the book of Isaiah that we've actually talked about before in Isaiah 43. But I want to take a bit of a different um, approach to it today. And I believe that God's preparing us for some things as a congregation that uh, might take us to some places in the spirit we've never been. Or some places in just stretching us in ways that we're not used to. And that's okay. That's good. I, by nature, if you were to really press me to the core... Uh, now I mean the core of who I am naturally, not the core of who I can be in Christ and who I am in Christ. But if, if you just went to my personality, I am an observer and an analyzer, and maybe some of you can identify with that. That can be good at times. It can be good for you to scope out a situation and think about it before you jump in. It can also be bad. I, I talked to you, I believe, last week about the fact that sometimes that means you're the kid who... Once you get to the top of that really giant slide in the water park, you got to go down right away. Because if you don't, you think about it too much. I, I don't remember ever walking back down the stairs. That was the walk of shame. You never wanted to do that. But I remember times where I almost did. You almost just want a friend behind you to just shove you, right? Once you've made a decision, just, just shove me. Just push me right off. You know, I, I, jumping off. Anybody jump, like done some cliff diving or anything like that? I say cliff diving, really, my cliff jumping is jumping feet first. I would never try to dive, because I'm sure that would end in a belly flop. But I've done the, you know, the jackknife right through the, the water thing, just jump feet first and hope it's deep enough. Um, those moments, you just have to pump yourself up. And you want someone to push you almost because, because I'm the guy that will sit at the top and, and think of what could happen if, it, if I go in the wrong angle or, you know, like that. I mean, it's not fear, it's just overthinking it. And so I always, as a kid, I always forced myself to do things I didn't want to do because I wanted to be brave and I figured I should be brave and I had a little sister who wanted to do everything I did. So I was, there's no way I'm going to let a little sister two years younger than me do something I'm not going to do. So I had to be brave and pretend I was just this guy that would do everything so that she would uh, she'd think her big brother was more than just a, I don't know, a nerd. Anyways... <laughs> I say all that to say, um, as I've grown in the Lord, it's been important for me, and I know that you could feel the same way, it's been important for us to recognize when God is changing a season so that you know to follow his voice, to follow his spirit, and not be afraid of change, right? Change is good. Donkey. Change is good. Now, change isn't always, change for the sake of change is dumb, right? That's instability. You know, the book of Hebrews in chapter 5 says, don't be like little kids. Don't be immature. Don't be childish. Don't be like those who are tossed around by every wind and wave of doctrine. So every time there's a new thing out in the church, you're, you're on this bandwagon. This can really happen, you know, if, if thank God that we have access more than ever uh, through online media, we have access to so much good teaching and preaching and whatever. And so it's a really good thing that you can, you can uh, get fed. But the, the, the thing you got to always watch out for is that you're not just flipping to whatever the new thing is. Or, you know, this is, what I, this is where I'm going now. And you're just being tossed around by whatever the new thing is online or whatever the new thing is on TV. That, that you've got to be in a place where you know where God has put you. As Tia said earlier, you got to know the lane that God God put you in. You got to know the people you're called to, the church you're called to, the, the, the people God's put around you. What has God directed you towards? So we don't want to be flaky. Flaky is not good. But at the same time, sometimes we're so afraid of being flaky that we glorify standing still. Right? I don't want to be flaky, the person who's changing all the time for the sake of change. But I also don't want to be the person that's so afraid of change or so in love with the way things have been for the past 10 years that I'm not willing to let things, let God lead me to a new season, to a new place. Every one of us in our lives had go through seasons in our life that God has ordained, that God has laid out for you, that God is drawing you to, and to be able to recognize it is the best thing in the world. Because when you don't recognize it, what happens? 
When you don't recognize the season you're in, well, yeah, I guess the great fear is that you'd miss it, but I've found that God is really faithful to, to give you quite a few chances. You could still miss it. I mean, the Jews missed Jesus, most of them. He wept over Jerusalem because he said, you know, how I wished I could have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you missed the day of your visitation. I kind of shortened that, but he said, you missed your day of visitation. But how many times, how many chances did he give them to recognize him? So God will give you more than one chance, but don't test the theory, right? Don't say, well, God will give me more than one chance, so I'll wait. Now, can we be the people that are people of faith, that know how to be led by his voice, that know how to hear his voice, know how to follow it, know how to take good counsel? Because that's one of the best things about being part of a body is when, you, when you're not sure whether this is of God or not, you got people with you that are running the race with you that can say, I think it's a bit off, or let's, let's pray this through together. That, that somehow you're not just having to say, well, either I miss it or I don't, and on one side is a cliff, and on the other side is is, is, is um, you know, uh, lava coming towards me, and if I stand still, I'm going to get killed no matter what. That somehow we have the confidence to move through these seasons and know that God is with us and that God is shepherding us and that we don't have to stand still, but we're also not afraid to stay when God tells us to stay and to move when he tells us to move. In Isaiah 43, let's read this together. And um, I've always found this to be a hopeful chapter, but I, I imagine, I imagine to, the, to some people it might be a bit intimidating. When he moves on in, in um, well, let's start in verse 18. Just to give you some background, uh, scholars are kind of split onto about when this was written. Some people believe this was written in a time uh, outside of their Babylonian captivity, and others believe this was written while they were captives. This was prophesied while they were captives. Either way, you could see them in a place of discouragement or complacency. One of the problems, if you look at Israel's history, and you might say, well, why do I need to look at Israel's history? That's not my history. Well, it is. It is your history. Because it's, the, it's humanity's history, but also as the seed of Abraham, these are our people as well. This is where we came from. And the Bible tells us over and over in the New Testament to avoid the mistakes they made and imitate the faith they had. There's times where you can look back and it'd be much better for you to learn from someone else's mistake than make your own. So, one of the things that kept happening to these guys is that they'd be in a bad situation, a not ideal situation, for instance, slavery in Egypt or captivity in Babylon. And for the first few years, they'd hate it. But then they'd get to a place where they'd begin to adapt, especially when they were in Babylon, because, you know, the reason that Babylonians were so good, and the Persians did this as well, one of the reasons they were so good at bringing in other nations is that they didn't totally destroy you. They didn't treat you terribly. They actually tried to get you to amalgamate into their culture, to assimilate into their culture. So one of the things the Babylonians would do, and you see this with Daniel and his three buddies, is that they'll bring in the smartest the young nobles, the, the ones with royal blood, and they would bring them in and train them to be Babylonian. Educate them in their system. Give them some position because these guys would be the guys that would lead the rebellion if there was going to be one. But instead, they're going to make them part of their culture. You're going to think like us. You're going to talk like us. They even gave them new names. So one guy's name, one of Daniel's friends' name means the Lord, uh, who, is like, who is like God, who is like, uh, uh, who is like Yahweh. And they gave him a new name, which is who is like, who is like Ra, who is like this guy. And so they're not only changing their language and their education, they're even changing their identity. And the idea is, come on, guys, you don't, we took you away from your homeland. Forget about your homeland. You're one of us now. So for the first few years, the Israelites hated it in Babylon. They wanted to go home. They, they talked about hanging out by the river of Babylon, staring, staring back at home, going, oh, I wish we could go home. God had told them in Jeremiah 
Jeremiah 29, that famous scripture that talks about, uh, I know the plans I have for you. The context of that is that they want to leave Babylon and God says you're going to be there for 70 years. But I've got good plans for you. And when they heard that, they were like, we don't want to stay here this long. But do you know when 70 years rolled around, there was only one guy looking to leave Babylon, and that was Daniel. Daniel was the one that said, oops, 70 years has come and gone. What are we doing? And he went to the river and he prayed. And then God raised other people like Ezra, Nehemiah. God raised, God raised up people that would, Zerubbabel, people that would go back and rebuild. But nobody wanted to leave because it got so comfortable where they were. And this is what happens to us. God will take us through and say, this is a season of your life and, and I'm bringing you through it and this is a good time and, and it's going to be some times that are going to stretch you and some, some things that will test you, but it's a good season. I'm preparing you for something. And when you first come into that season, you, you say things like, I can't wait till this is over. But then you're there for a while and you're like, I got used to the water. I have adjusted to the temperature. I think I'll stay. It's like going to Sandy Beach in July. Sandy Beach in July should be a pleasurable, nice experience, which you know as well as I do. It can be a hot day, and then you get in that lake, and it's freezing cold. You don't understand? You, don't, you guys don't, you guys have never been to Sandy Beach? <laughs> I think everybody's like defensive, like, hey, Sandy Beach is our beach. Come on. You get in there and it's cold. I'm talking about beginning of July. You get in there, it's cold. You don't want to be there. But if you stay long enough, finally you get used to it and it's nice. Then you don't want to get out. This happens to us all the time. You know, the Israelites, remember, they came out of Egypt. They, didn't, they wanted to leave Egypt, but they didn't really want to leave Egypt. And when they finally left Egypt, they were, in the, they were in the wilderness, walking through the wilderness, and God said, I brought you through the wilderness to test you. And you might say, well, what, is, what does he mean by testing them? Does he mean he's finding out what they know? Does he mean he's finding out who they are? No, he already knew that. But through every trial that they went through, they learned something new about God. When they were without water and he, he hit the rock, they learned that he was their water, he was their source of life. When they went through the Red Sea, they learned that he was their rescuer, their deliverer. He can make ways where there wasn't any way. When he put, he took the, the poison water that they were going to drink from, and he said, put a tree in it, and it'll go from bitter to sweet, fresh water. He taught them something about the cross that they didn't know. He taught them something about the, the fact that he could take their bitterness and make it right again. When they, all these things that they went through, they were learning how to live in the promised land. But when they got to the promised land, well, they had talked smack about the wilderness. They hated the wilderness. It's miserable in the wilderness. But by the time they got to the promised land, they weren't ready to step into a new season. They got to the edge of a new season that they had been talking about, and they didn't want to do it. So for 40 years, they had to go around that mountain again. I know as a church, there have been times where God said, you're going into a new season. We all say, yeah. Can we do the same thing we did here in the new season? And he goes, no, not exactly. Well, then we're good. We just want to do what we are doing. We're used to this. And he goes, but the new season is where I've been, I've been building you towards this. I've been training you for this. I've been getting you ready for this. And we go, well, that's great, God. And you can do that. You can bring us in a new season. You can cause me to grow. You can make me taller. Just don't make me buy new pants. Anybody like that as a kid? That was me. I wanted to grow. I hated buying clothes. Now I'm still growing and having to buy clothes, but that's not a good thing. But when I was a kid, I wanted to grow. I was a short kid. I wanted to be tall. But the problem is I hated trying on clothes. I just hated it. So I was torn between wanting to grow and not wanting to buy new clothes. And I think we get like that as believers. He says this. In Isaiah 43, verse 18, he says, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Don't get stuck in the past. The past is good. What God did in the past is good, but don't get stuck there. Behold, I will do something new. What does behold mean? He says, look at this. Pay attention. I'm going to do something new. Now it will spring forth. Now the cool thing is he's talking about something in the future 
But the reality of what he's doing in the future has already sprung forth. That's a spiritual reality that a lot of people don't get, is that God works behind the scenes in unseen things way before you see the things. So a plant puts down roots way before it peaks up out of the ground, right? What God is doing next year, he's already begun amongst us. What we'll see next year is already taking place right now. What we'll see, we're sowing seeds right now that we're going to harvest in 10 years. We wonder, why are we sowing seeds into this? Why are we doing this right now? Because in 10 years, you're going to need that fruit. God's doing things beneath the surface right now that you're not even aware of, but it's springing forth. It's happening. So he says, now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? This word, to be aware of it, also means to know it or to experience it. So I see this from two different ways. Number one, will you recognize it when it's there? Will you know when it's there or will you miss it? And the second is, will you be a part of it? When I do a new thing, are you going to be aware? Are you going to be there? Because I'm doing it. But will you be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I've given waters in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. And I, I normally would stop there, but I want to read you the next verse. He says, but you haven't called on me, O Jacob. Jacob is another word for Israel. But you have become weary of me, O Israel. So one of the reasons he's having to wake them up to the new things he's doing is because they're in a state of weariness. And they're not just weary with life. They've become weary with God. And when you allow yourself to become weary with God and frustrated you're not in a place to step into something new. You're not ready to receive something new. You've got to get over the weariness, and you've got to get yourself ready again. And the problem is we've been saying, I've been ready for too long. I, I hate standing here waiting. I hate, I hate just the preparation time. I want to jump into it. And he says, I'm doing it, but don't get weary in well-doing. For a due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't faint. He says, you became weary of me. I just want to go back to that thought. I'm doing something, but will you be aware of it? So we're going to, for the next few weeks, we're going to ask the Lord to prepare us for some new things. Because I believe we're stepping into some new seasons, even this year. But some of the things we've been stepping into for the past two years, they've just been beneath the surface. We're about to see them spring up above the dirt, and we need to be ready. What does it take to get ready? Sure, I'm going to talk about this in the context of our church, but I want this, you to think of this in the context of your own life. What does it take for you to get ready for a new season in your life? Are you done with new seasons? You too old for that? You through with that? Because I can tell you, there's some pretty old people in the Bible that God brought into a brand new season, and they had to be ready. Abraham and Sarah find themselves having a baby when they're way past time for that. That's a new season. Noah's building an ark as like way past senior citizen age. He's building a, a boat to start a new civilization. I mean, you think about it, guys. There is no age limit on God moving you to different. If you're done moving, you're ready to die. Why don't you just, you know, you're just ready to go see Jesus. If you're done running the race, what's the point? But I want to stir you up. Nobody in this room is ready to go, all right? I'm looking around. I'm looking at your faces. Don't you dare die on us. we got work to do. <laughs> Don't grow weary. Don't be weary of God. And I want to bring you to a place in Scripture in the book of Acts. So I think we've got a mix here today. We got a mix of people that are probably really eager for new things, and we've got a group of people that might be a little bit hesitant. And there's good things about both of those things. There's good things in the wisdom to not just jump on every bandwagon, and there's good things about being ready and flexible enough that you're not so stiff that God can't use you. And I honor both of those things. We need to find God's balance, right? You know, there's a, there's a verse in Amos that says, Surely the Lord does nothing 
without first announcing it through the mouth of his prophets. God doesn't just do stuff and surprise everybody. Like we just read in Isaiah 43, he says things to prepare us. Now the problem is we as believers come to church and just wait for a good message or we, we, read, we read our Bible throughout the week and we're just looking for something, a little nugget, something to get us through. We're, sometimes we're not paying attention to what God has said a year ago. Are we still thinking about it? Are we still praying about it? The things God planted in us six months ago, is that still affecting me? Because you'll find that God doesn't do anything in your life that he hasn't previously tried to tell you about. And if you're paying attention, you'll know about it beforehand. You may not know what it looks like. You may not know the when, the where, the what, the how, but you know something's coming. Every significant season in my life, God began to prepare me before. So I didn't know exactly what or how it was going to happen, but I knew something was coming. And at that moment where it was time to jump out of the boat, it was like oh, God, the Holy Spirit brings all these words back to your remembrance. And you go, this is what he was talking about. This was it. This is what he was talking about. All those things, I didn't put the pieces together until this moment. This is what he was talking about. God is so faithful to do that for you. That's not just something that a pastor gets to do or, or a preacher gets to do. That's all of us. So he says this, and in, in, in the book of Acts, Stephen was brought before the, the Sanhedrin. He was brought before the religious leaders of his day, and he was accused of something because Stephen was a guy that had gotten so fired up about Jesus being the Messiah that he started going into the Greek-speaking synagogues because there were Hebrew-speaking synagogues, and then there was Greek-speaking synagogues, and there were Jews that, that spoke Hebrew and there were Jews that spoke Greek and they each kind of had their own church services. And he was a Greek-speaking Jew or a Hellenistic Jew. And he would go back to his synagogue and he began to preach to his, his friends, his brothers, his sisters. And he'd tell them, this Messiah we've been waiting for, he's here. So anyways, he gets hauled out. He's, he's too much of a disruptor. He gets hauled out in front of the religious leaders. They put him on trial and you can't just drag a guy before the, the court without a good reason. So they, they, they charge him with two things. Number one, they charge him with blasphemy of Moses and blaspheming the temple. The idea being, if you blaspheme Moses, it's not Moses the man, but this is the law. You're, you're, you're against the law of Moses. If you're blaspheming the temple, to them that was a grave, grave sin. Because what you're doing is you're not honoring what God, this holy place that God has made. And then Stephen begins to preach a message. And he spends half the time talking about the fact that God doesn't live in a temple. And he was never confined to a temple. Even though he used the temple, he was never confined to the temple. And then he spends the other half of the time showing them that in fact he hadn't blasphemed Moses, but they were the ones that had. And I want to read you something in Acts chapter 8. Sorry, Acts chapter 7. He tells the story of how Moses killed an Egyptian who was beating up an Israelite how he was doing it for his people, but his people didn't accept them. He says in verse 24, when Moses saw one of the Israelites being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppression by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, your brothers, why do you injure each other? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You don't mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a flaming burning thorn bush. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight as he approached to look more closely. And there came the voice of the Lord saying, I'm the God of your fathers, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans. I've come down to rescue them. Come now, I'll send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one that God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer, with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the guy, this is the Moses, who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but they repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. I want you to hear what he's saying. He's saying, you guys are accusing me of not being a big fan of Moses. You guys are accusing me of blaspheming Moses. And he says, it was your fathers that didn't like Moses when he was around. And what he's implying is, if Moses were alive today, you'd hate him too. They're such big fans of Moses, it's easy to be a big fan of somebody who's been dead for over a thousand years. Right? He's saying, you guys wouldn't have liked him then. He didn't like him then. You didn't accept him then. He goes on and says in verse 40, You said to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Further on, let's skip ahead. He says in verse 51, You men who are stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart, and your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Oops. See, they're supposed to be big fans of the prophets. Everything is the law and the prophets. And Stephen gets in front of him and says, you guys, the same kind of religion that's trying to kill me today is the same kind of religion that killed the prophets when they walked around. You guys are all like, we're the biggest, we got the, we got the prophets' jerseys on with their number and the name. We are big fans. We got their posters up in our bedrooms. But in reality, you would have killed them. What's he saying? He's saying, you guys think you'd be alright with God doing a new thing, but when it's right in front of you, you reject it. You're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts. And your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. I want to hear this because this has been me at different times in my life. And if you're honest, it's probably been you at certain times too. Stiff-necked. Where does that phrase come from, to be stiff-necked? You might be sitting here today going, I wish someone would pray for my stiff neck. Talks about an animal that you're trying to lead. And they use that term for an animal that you're trying to lead but won't turn when you're trying to lead it to a different direction. Won't turn, stiff-necked. You ever had a stubborn animal? I know you guys have. Whether it be cattle or donkeys, you know, you've got animals, mules, oxen. You've got animals that you're trying to use this animal, but they're stiff-necked. They don't want to move. And if they do move, they don't want to go in a different direction. That's why they were called stiff-necked, because they only want to go straight. They don't want to turn. And he's saying, God's trying to turn you guys. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if your eyes were open, if your ears were open, if your heart was soft, you'd hear, you'd see, you'd understand. Then you would turn and I'd heal you. The problem with us is we ha often have to turn in the right direction so that we can be healed, but we don't like being turned because turning is change. Turning is admitting I might be going the wrong direction. And do you know the right direction back there might not be the right direction now? I'm not talking about you compromising your doctrine. I'm not talking about you changing what you believe about God. I'm talking about you making adjustments in your life or God being able to turn you to a new season. 
If I'm going to Calgary via Edmonton, I'm going to go west for quite some time, right? But at some point, i got to turn south. Now, me turning south doesn't mean I was wrong to go west. I don't have to go back and go, you know, guys, I don't know why I ever went west. West is so passe. We should have been going south this whole time. No, if you were going south the whole time, you'd be in a totally different place. You'd be in Swift Current or Medicine Hat. I'm trying to get to Calgary. I had to go west then, but I have to go south now. Both of those things were my route. So God's got you on a trajectory. And the fact that he turns you a little bit doesn't mean there was anything wrong with what you were doing five years ago. You were probably doing exactly what God told you to do. It's time to shift. It's time to turn. It's time to make an adjustment. Are you too stiff-necked to be led? He says three things. He says you're stiff-necked, which means you won't turn. You're stuck. He says you're uncircumcised in heart. What's uncircumcised in heart? That means with your flesh, you're trying to serve God, but your, heart doesn't really, your heart's not in it. You're serving the law from the flesh. You're serving as unto the law, but you don't have the law in your heart. You don't have his, his ways in your heart. You, you are not serving God with your heart. You're serving God with your outward actions. Then he says your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. So I want you to just think with me for a minute what it might look like for a human being right now in 2018. This will be easy to identify with because you happen to be human beings in 2018. So you could put yourself in their shoes. What does a human being in 2018 who has ears resistant to the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? I mean, it's probably not somebody today that puts their hands over their head and yells, la, 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 and runs out the back. It's probably somebody that knows how to sit quietly in church, knows how to act like they agree, but they don't really agree. But when the, when the Holy Spirit says something, whether it be in church, whether it be at home, whatever, wherever it is that God's trying to speak to you through your time in the Word, and God's trying to speak to you, your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Why are your ears resisting the Holy Spirit? Because I don't want to hear anything that's going to have to ch shift me. I don't want to hear anything that's going to cause me to be uncomfortable. I don't want to hear anything that's going to have to cause me to change a little bit. So I'm resisting anything that's causing me to be led. What is one of the things the Holy Spirit was going to do? Lead us and guide us into all truth. He says, your ears are resisting the Holy Spirit. So if it can't get past your ears, how in the world is it supposed to get to your heart? They would resist it the moment they heard it because it was unfamiliar to them. Bible says that there were Jews, Jewish leaders, religious leaders, when Jesus was walking the earth, that believed in him but were afraid to confess him because of what it would mean for their jobs. They'd lose their jobs. It says they'd lose their place. So they, they believed, but they wouldn't let themselves turn because if they were to turn and confess Christ, they'd be out of a job. So sometimes we're afraid of the cost of change. If I were to change, I got, my, I got my setup here. I got things in order. I've got things laid out. If I were to change, this is going to cost me something. But you know, anytime God leads you into something, he provides for that season. Don't you know that? God's always going to provide for that season. The house that God gave you in this season served you in this season. But if he told you to move... The God that gave you this house can give you another house. He's the same God. The problem is what God gave us, we, we, we obtained something by the providence of God. God gave it to us, but we think we're the ones that need to keep it. But if God gave it, God can keep it. And if God gave it, you can give it, and God can give again. He says you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your father is dead. How do you think they responded to that rebuke? He says, they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you've now become. You received the law as ordained by angels, but you didn't keep it. It's weird for them to hear this because they thought they were the best at keeping the law. They thought nobody kept the law like they kept the law. 
But he says, you didn't. You received it, but you didn't keep it. You know, Jesus sat down with one of these religious leaders, Nicodemus. And in that famous scripture, the, the one scripture we remember from that conversation is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We all remember it in the King James because that's the right way to remember it. But do you remember the rest of the conversation? One of the things that Jesus said to this guy who was afraid to meet with him in broad daylight had a secret meeting, mafia style, in the middle of the night. Like Jesus was his dealer or something. He meets with him in the middle of the night and he, and he asks him some questions. And one of the things that Jesus says that doesn't seem to fit with everything else is he says, you know, those that are born of the Spirit, he says, they're like the wind. You don't know where they came from and you don't know where they're going. I'm sure to a guy like Nicodemus who's structured and has his place, that's a terrifying statement. I don't want that kind of life. Do you want that kind of life? Do you want people around you to be that unpredictable? No, I don't. I want to know what you're going to do next week. I want to know that I know that I can predict what Eric's going to do because Eric's a reliable guy. What I don't want is for him to come next week and say, God's been working on our family. This is what we believe we're going to do. And it totally shifts what I was expecting. But that may be what the Holy Spirit's doing. Now, let me tell you. He's talking to a natural man. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. So when he says, people that are born of the Spirit, you don't know where they're coming from, you don't know where they're going, it doesn't mean nobody knows. It just means a natural man won't understand. But 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 tells us, if you're walking in the Spirit, you'll recognize the Spirit. Now before we close, I want to bring you a couple more things. And, and because of time, I'm not going to make you turn there, but I want you to go back and study these things yourself. In John chapter 8, Jesus argues with the religious leaders of his day. And he says sort of the same thing that Stephen is saying. You guys are such big fans of the prophets, you killed the prophets. You guys say, Abraham is your father. If Abraham was your father, he says, you know what? Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. He says, you say God is your father. But he says, if God was your father, you would have loved me. But he says, you're not of God. Your father's not God. Your father's the devil. And that's why you can't hear truth. Because you're just like your father who's a liar. So you can't recognize truth. Now, how does that apply to you today? Because does anybody in the room say, yep, the devil's my dad? Anybody want to stand up and get prayed for today? You go, devil is my daddy. All right, I admit it. No, of course not. We're born of God. God is our father now. We've, we've been adopted into his family, right? So what does this mean for you? What if, what if well, all this time I've been preaching, you've been sitting here thinking, this is all well and good, but dear Lord, how am I going to know when it's God and how am I going to know when it's not God? All this talk about change is really fun until I have to do it, but how will I know if it's God? Well, number one, you know his voice when you listen to his voice. See, when you're into the word of God, you soak yourself into his word, you'll recognize his voice because this is his word. You'll know his voice. When you spend time in prayer with him, listening and obeying the Holy Spirit, you know the Spirit's voice. We're part of a family. There's people that can help us when, when you know, God will confirm his voice through many witnesses. But here's the other thing. At the core, at the core, because you're born again, you are wired. There's a part of you that's changed that will love the truth. In fact, John talks about this in 1 John. He says, here's how you know you're of the truth. He says, the people, that, the people that have rejected the gospel, the people that aren't born again, they don't recognize the truth, but you do. There's something in you. He says, if, you were, if God was your father, you would have loved me. Have you ever asked yourself, if I was walking around when Jesus was walking the earth, would I have known he was the Messiah? You ever asked yourself that question, or would I have missed it? Maybe that's a fear you have today. What if I miss God? And I want to I encourage you with something. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me. Isn't that amazing? So what he's saying is, because God is your father, You'll recognize the truth and you'll love it. There's something in you 
that will know this is God and you'll embrace it. Now, it doesn't mean your flesh won't have to be put down. There's a part of you that will not want it. There's a part of you that wants to resist. But that spirit inside you is wired to love the things of God and to discern and know that this is God. When Peter was on his friend's rooftop and God was getting him ready for something new, what was the new thing God was doing? God was getting them to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And Peter, even though this is something the Old Testament had said, even though this was something that Jesus had said, Peter wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready. The church wasn't ready to go preach to the Gentiles. They thought they weren't supposed to. They didn't think they were allowed to go into their houses. They didn't think they were allowed to eat with them. So Peter's on the roof of his friend, Simon the Tanner. And he has a vision with all these creepy, crawly, weird little animals on a sheet and it lowers from heaven. And God says, kill and eat these animals. But they're all animals he's not allowed to eat because he's a good Jew. They are so not kosher. This is a Cajun meal. It's stuff you're not supposed to eat. My dad would have loved this meal. You, I've told you this before. If there's a Cajun restaurant we used to eat at in Dallas. It was called Razoo's. And on the wall, they got this big thing that says, if we live in a swamp, we cook it. You know, that's it. Crawdad, hum, hum, hum. I don't catfish, all that good stuff. I mean, if we live in a swamp, we cook it. You know, that's... You go to the bathroom, and the, the sinks are like fish-cleaning guts sinks, you know? And uh, anyways, so growing up, Cajun food. Cajun food was basically all the stuff nobody else wanted to eat, but they were so poor they had to eat it. So you put enough like garlic and spice in it, and, and, and it tastes good. So this is the idea. So everything that Peter's seeing is like creepy, crawly, crustaceans, stuff that doesn't have the right amount of cloven hooves, all these things, pigs, things he's not supposed to eat. You might think it's a delicious meal. He's horrified. And God says to him, eat this. He doesn't even say eat it. He says you have to go kill it first. Kill it. Eat it. He goes, I don't want to. God says to him, don't you ever call unclean the thing that I've cleansed. What I've called holy, you don't call common. We always talk about this vision, but sometimes we forget God had to give him that same vision three times. He saw it three different times. And then three people knock at his door saying, you're supposed to go to my boss's house. And it was Cornelius' house. Peter shows up and he goes, well, I guess I'm supposed to do this. God had to get three times to get him through. He finally gets there. He preaches the gospel. In the middle of his sermon, people start speaking in tongues. And he goes, well, I guess. <laughs> like he didn't say, you're supposed to come to the front and pray the sinner's prayer. Then... We lead you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then you speak in tongues. No, they start speaking in tongues. So he goes, okay, well, I guess if they got the Holy Spirit, that means they could get saved. And I guess if they can get saved, other Gentiles can get saved. So then he starts preaching to the Gentiles, and he gets called into the office. The other apostles are like, hey, what's up here? He goes back to Jerusalem, and they go, we hear you're eating with, Jewish, uh, with Gentiles. Not a good thing. And he says, it says, Peter calmly, and that is so not Peter's personality. Obviously, God did something in him. Peter calmly explained what God did. He just told the story. And he said, here's what the Holy Spirit did. And, and you know what? It's the same thing in Acts 15 when they were being challenged about the Gentiles. They told the story of what God was doing, but they also brought up the scripture showing that this, their, their experience and the word of God agreed. God is never going to do anything that doesn't line up with his word, right? But they didn't recognize. They, they forgot those scriptures until they saw God doing it. It's like when uh, Philip went down to Samaria. They didn't think they were supposed to preach to Samaritans either. But when Philip did it, they recognized God was doing it. When, when the Gentiles went to Antioch and started preaching to Gentiles, that, then Barnabas went and he recognized the grace of God. So they saw God's doing something. It lined up with the word and the spirit bore witness. And the Bible says those people that called Peter out stood back, shut up, and began to glorify God saying, well, I guess it's time we preach to the Gentiles. You see, they recognized that God was doing something new. 
But they didn't just recognize God was doing something new because some dude came in and said it loudly. They recognized God was doing something new because they saw the evidence of God at work and it lined up with what he said. These things testified together. The spirit and the word bore witness. And when they recognized that here's our first instinct, we're okay with something new if God uses us to bring something new. I'm okay with something new if God tells me first. What I don't want is God to tell you first. Because that takes humility, right? It takes humility for me to hear someone else say, God's doing a new thing. And I say, well, I'll have to hear it. And what these guys did was they listened and they heard God at work. And they said, okay. And they began to glorify God and say, it's time to preach to the Gentiles. You might look at these old scriptures and you might say, well, these were about other people. All this was fulfilled. But I want you to know that the scripture is speaking about your future too. And you'll find yourself over and over again, God will use his word to confirm what he's about to do. He'll confirm it by his spirit and he'll confirm it by others. And I want to close with this last bit of scripture here as we allow God to seal this in us. And it's found in the book of Psalms. Because guys, I don't want to be stiff-necked. Do you? I don't want to be stiff-necked. I realize there's times in my life where I have been. But I don't want to be stiff-necked so hard to lead and that, you know, God has to hammer my head three times for me to get it. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I'll give you a minute to get there. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Do you know nobody in your life can replace the voice of God? God will use leaders. He'll use people. So I'm not telling you to go rogue and say, I don't have to listen to anyone but God, because that also doesn't line up with the scripture. But there's no one that can stand between you and God. And no one can replace the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not the Holy Spirit for you. Your best buddy's not the Holy Spirit for you. Your parents aren't the Holy Spirit for you. You have to know the voice of the Spirit. He says, I'll instruct you and I'll teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, this says with my eye upon you, but literally in the Hebrew, all it says is I will counsel you with my eye. Here's a thought. God uses his voice, but he also leads us with his eye. And the closer you get to him and the more you're watching him, the more you're beholding his face, the more you'll know here's the way you should go. What kind of intimacy would you have to have to be led like this? He says in verse 9, Don't be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they would not come near to you. God is saying, I don't want to use a bit in your mouth. I don't want to use a bridle. I want to use my voice. I want to guide you with my eye. Do you understand the difference? How would God lead you with a bit or a bridle? I've met a lot of people that say, this is how God gets my attention. He, you know, he, I was driving and God caused somebody to rear end me in traffic and I, I paid attention. Yeah, why would God have to do things like this? Or why does God have to use situations in your life to get your attention? That's not the way he wants to get your attention. So yeah, Balaam needs his donkey to crush his leg against the rock and then start talking to him. But that's only because Balaam won't listen to God. So if you're finding that the only way God can get your attention is for big things to happen in front of you, you want to be led by a bit. You want to be led by a bridle. But that's not how God wants to lead you. He wants to lead you by his voice. He wants to lead you with his eye. He wants you to be so intimate in relationship with him that you know his heart and you even when you don't see him, you love him. 
And when you see something he's doing, because you're born of God. Come on, can we just get rid of the fear here today? The fear that keeps you so bound that says, I don't want to miss God, I don't want to miss God, I don't want to miss God. That's what happened to the guy that buried the talents in the ground. He was so afraid that, that his master was going to be mad at him. And when you're so afraid that God's going to be mad at you because you missed God, you're not acting like a child of God. You're acting like a slave. And you're not a slave. He wants you to have confidence in him. And he wants you to say, because God is my father, and because I have the spirit of God living within me, and because his word is a light into my path and a lamp into my feet, I know when it's God. And you know what? Here's something that will set you free a little bit. If it's not, he knows how to tell you no. Right? Do you know? Paul's about to preach somewhere. The spirit of Jesus says, don't do that. Oh, okay. Don't you know God, God knows how to tell you no? Hasn't he done it before? Don't you think God knows how to say, oops, you're going the wrong way. Come back. He's not going to spank you for going the wrong way. He's telling you, go the wrong way. Turn to go this way. Don't let fear of missing it keep you from going where he tells you to go because fear of missing is the number one thing that's going to cause you to miss it. Ironically. Don't be as the horse, the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they would not come near to you. What's God want us to do? Draw near. Constantly draw near. Don't be so stubborn. Draw near, draw near, draw near. And I'll counsel you, and I'll tell you the way that you should go. In the next few, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about how do we pray through a new season? How do we shift some things for a new season? But just today, I want to leave you with that thought. I want to leave you with the thought that God is preparing you. All throughout your life, he's preparing you for the next thing. It doesn't mean don't jump off the cliff before you're supposed to. Don't, don't get so eager for the next thing that you're not content in the present. But don't be scared of the new thing. And allow God to shift some things. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be resistant to the Holy Spirit. What does the scripture say when it talks about not despising prophecies? It says, don't despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what's good. So many people take that verse and they say, examine everything carefully and write a book about what's bad. What does he say? When you hear a prophetic utterance, when God speaks to you, and you don't know whether it's fully him or not, examine it by the word, examine it through the spirit, examine it if you need to by counsel, but through all these things, hold fast to what's good. Hold on tight to what's good that God said to you, and don't let it go. I believe we've got some soft-hearted people today that are willing to be led, that want to be led by God. And I just want you to let go of any fear that you've carried that says, I'm afraid of missing it. Don't be afraid of missing it. About half the people I run into are afraid of missing God. And the other half are afraid of standing still. And both of those things can lead you into error. If you, if you, if you can't ever find that place of peace that you always have to be on the move, that's indicative of something that's not settled within you. But if you're afraid to move because you're so stuck in where you are, that's also indicative of some lack of trust. So can we let go of both of those things and find where our shepherd is who's leading us with his voice? Stand up with me today.